the Incomparable Podcast, number 23, February 2011. We're back on the Incomparable Podcast. The topic today is movies, and we're going to talk about superhero movies. There was a time when there were not very many superhero movies at all. Um, That time is not the last 10 years when there's been a horrible, horrible glut of them. Uh, We're going to talk about superhero movies that we love, the ones that we hate, ones we think are overrated and underrated, and to to help me down this path to, um, to the land of Metropolis and other strange fictional superhero cities. I am joined by my guests, Ben Boychuk. Coming to you live from my secret lair somewhere in Southern California. Nice, nice. John Syracusa. I am ready. You are ready. Do you are you wearing a uh an outfit? My superhero pajamas, yes. All right, excellent. And uh and Serenity Caldwell. Who is not wearing a cape because capes are terrible. No capes. No capes. They're dangerous. They're not just terrible. They're dangerous. They are. Um, it makes me wonder, actually, the wisdom of NBC doing a show called The Cape <laughs> when it had already been established. No capes. I thought we weren't supposed to talk about that. Let's not. Ta- never. Don't. Whatever. That's you not do, a real show. Don't mention the cape. Um, that's for the TV podcast. Although somebody would actually have to watch it and talk about it. And I got it. scared off by how terrible all the comments about it were, so I didn't even <laughs> watch it. Uh, who, so I'd like to start on a, on a negative note because that's, that's just the way I roll, um, and talk about movies that we think are overrated as superhero movies, movies that you're tired of hearing how good they are and that you personally have some issues, issues with and think that we shouldn't appreciate them quite so much. John, I'm going to, I'm going to look to you to help kick this off on a negative note. That's a big mistake because all of my choices are going to be the same as your choices. So every one of these things you let me go first, or at least before you on, I'm going to steal all your answers. That's fine. So I'm, I'm the host. I can just lean back and enjoy you agreeing with right. me. Yeah. So I, I'm going to steal your answer for this one because you've already talked about it, and I totally agree. Uh, overrated is The Dark Knight. Uh, not because it's such a terrible movie, because it isn't terrible, but because it's got... I think it's got the superhero movie equivalent of second system syndrome. Uh, I don't know if you know what that is, but it's a computer term for... Uh, you make the first one, and you after you've made the first one, the people who made it realize all the mistakes they made and all of the, all of the shortcuts they had to take and the limitations that are inherent in it. And when they get a chance to make a second one, they say, we're not going to make any of those mistakes, right? We're going to fix all the things we couldn't do before, put everything in that didn't fit that we ran out of time for, and just ends up with everything in the kitchen sink inside it. And that's kind of like what The Dark Knight is. Uh, it's a superhero movie that tries to have everything in it, you know, great acting, dramatic fight scenes. Uh, an amazing villain and every possible scenario you can imagine for the villain to go in a, a you know a, a love story uh, the loss of a main character revenge and it just it just ends up being too much the dark knight is at a great great movie for about 60 percent, and then it just doesn't end and it keeps going keeps trying to have more and it it goes off the rails at the end i don't uh, want to i don't want to draw a, a parallel between the dark knight and um batman returns 
the mm-hmm. second of the Tim Burton Batmans, which yeah. is a far Batman Returns far inferior to the Dark Knight. I would say the Dark Knight is a good movie. It's just horribly overrated, but they are similar in that both of them, the first movie was successful, had a lot of constraints that I think made made them successful, and then they took all the constraints off. and And the, with Batman Returns, um, it was really like, okay, well, we made Tim Burton act like a grown up. He made a good movie. Now we'll let him do whatever the hell he wants. Oh God. He made he's made something <laughs> atrocious. Um, not to mention the fact that that why is it that superhero movie franchises feel that once a movie is successful, the best way to do a sequel is by multiplying the number of villains in it by a factor of three. Oh God! Well, the Dark Knight didn't have that problem with the multiple villains. Well, I felt it, like it had a yeah, good, good focus. Harvey Two Face, yeah. and and yeah, most of the, his stuff comes at the end, which is in my mind the worst part of that movie. Is where they well, say, it comes oh, out wow. of nowhere. Harvey Two Face well, is trying is trying to lead into the next movie. But my, my biggest complaints are the like the fairy scene and the sort of oh. Big Brother moralizing. Those two mm-hmm. bits didn't need to be in that movie. The fairy they scene. Are. I think is terrible, and um, th- that's actually happening simultaneous with another scene that is bad, which is um, Batman gets equipped. Um, um, Morgan Freeman equips Batman with uh, yeah, his the, the, his bat radar, right? His bat oh, radar, right. and he goes into yeah. a, a tall building and he's trying to fight bad guys in this tall building, and it's one of the most incompetently put together action scenes I've ever seen in a major <laughs> movie. You, you at no point do you really understand what's going on. Um, you, you completely lose track. It's it's sort of Transformers level of confusion. And uh, it's a shame because, again, if somebody had come in and said, no, 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 this is too much. You've got a great movie here. If we chop off most of the last 30 minutes or 45 minutes, uh, it would be a much better movie than it is. Yeah, because it starts really strong and it's focused and strong and dramatic. I think the worst decision was that they tried to make the, the big dramatic uh, – thing that happens in the final act is bat one of the things is which is another problem there's 10 different things that happen in the final act is batman rejecting the idea of spying on the citizenry uh you know i'll do it this once but you have to burn the computers down when you're done or you know and his and his faithful helper almost you know threatens to quit because of this great decision like no one cares about this this is not of batman's world i don't care who batman spies on he's to fight the bad guys it's just kind of shoved in there where you least expect it. It's like, oh, he's built this giant computer system that what it does it connect into cell phones or something like that? It was something yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Something ridiculous. I have to admit, I only saw the Dark Knight I saw it at midnight when it first came out because back like a couple years back I was on this big kick where it's like all the superhero movies, you see it at midnight, you see it with a good crowd, it's just fun. And I remember going into it being really psyched because I like Christian Bale and I like, you know, I like Christopher Nolan, uh, like good, good vibes. Right. And then, yeah, halfway through the film, it just completely falls apart where you're just, you know, I was sitting there and I actually looked at my watch at one point in time and I was kind of, where are you going with this, Christopher Nolan? Why, why does this suddenly, you know, you start off with strong characters and then it just kind of peters out to, Oh, I guess I guess they're trapped in a warehouse that may explode. And the Joker, I, the, for yes. Pete's sake, the Joker, by far the most important thing in this movie, by far the most successful thing in the movie. And and is it any coincidence that the Joker kind of moves off stage at that whole point where the movie falls apart? I, I don't it's think true. so. I think <laughs> it's that the, the, they just lost their way, and it's just the, make it about the Joker and Batman. Don't make it about um, Morgan Freeman's inventions and the computer. <laughs> Uh, computers spying on the people of Gotham City and the, this sort of um, kind of ridiculous boat 
thing that was the weird uh, love triangle origin story, which is like the, it's yeah. like a, they started in another movie in the middle of this one. And it <laughs> yeah, they did. Here's Two Faces origin, and I remember watching it, thinking, "Wait a second, are they going to go for another three hours? I mean, what are they doing? They're starting another movie. I don't care about that movie. What happened to the Joker movie? This is the movie they should have called Batman Forever." <laughs> I, I did like The Dark Knight probably better than, than the rest of you. But one thing that, that did bother me about it, and, and this was one of the things that I actually praised, was the, um, the, the location. Um, I, I actually preferred the first movie, uh, j- the first movie visually. The, you know this Because Gotham was this manufactured place and it, you know, had these wonderful old L Which trains the, and the, things like that. The Batman Begins. Batman Begins, yeah, right. and and um, and Dark Knight was set in Chicago, obviously set in Chicago, and 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 all these locations that you know about, um, and that actually it sort of took me out of the movie a little bit in a, in a strange way, um, you know, saying, oh yeah, I I know that building, and it, where whereas the first movie it was it was you know you were immersed in in this in this particular world, and so that was the one that was the one thing that really troubled me about. The Dark Knight, um, um, not so much the boat, the ferry boat thing, but uh, the location. Well, it had kind of an ethereal quality to it. Batman Begins, the whole universe. Like you think about the end, like the climax of Batman Begins, where it's, oh God, the train's going to crash into the water tower. But you, like I, when I picture the scene in in my head, I see very like sepia, foggy, like really, really kind of cool, in depth stuff that you'd see in a video game or in your head when you're reading a good book or on a comic page. And I feel like. With the Dark Knight, they 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 went very gritty, and it it turned very oh, this is a superhero movie, but it's a real man superhero movie, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Now I I, I should say I think all of us could probably say some positive things about about the Dark Knight, and I, and I don't think we're saying it's necessarily I a bad movie. A lot of oh no, things. I think in fact yeah. I would say the highs of the Dark Knight are among the highest highs of any uh, superhero movie that I've seen. It hits some great peaks. And that's what makes it a kind of a cry and shame. That's, yeah, that's what makes it a tragedy. And it's overrated because I think the general public is dazzled by the highs and is not as critical of the weaker parts. They may have been pummeled <laughs> into submission by the time they got two hours in, too, really. Yeah, or they fell asleep. Yeah. Or especially oh. Ram, who was looking at her watch and it said 2 a.m. That's why you were looking at your watch. It's, More like three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so we've beaten up on Batman enough. There will be a, there'll be a third. How many villains, I wonder, will they have in that one? Oh, gosh. 26. Well, <laughs> That's right. Excellent. It's just a rogues gallery. The whole rogues gallery. Killer Croc, out. the whole bit. Yeah. In terms of – there's a, another movie that I kind of associate with the with the Batman Returns and Dark Knight and all that, and that's Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man 3. Yeah, which got – I mean, was more critically reviled than Terrible. Dark Knight for sure. Yeah. I, but I wouldn't it, call that overrated. It can't be overrated. No, no, no. It, if if everybody thought, thinks it's no. terrible. But it's just – it's – that's another film that suffers from the multiple villains, Too many villains and and, yeah. and random too long for its own good randomly goes into emo musical sequence in the middle yeah. like it's sad because again i think there probably was a good movie in there if they had focused on a couple of things mm-hmm. if they'd focused on harry becoming kind of the hobgoblin or well, or i mean pick pick one villain right pick venom i mean i'm not a big fan of venom but or or the sandman or or, or at least Harry, it's somebody but, but the, it's just all mashed together there and and in a way and the venom story doesn't really work when it's kind of ret- retconned into this weird <laughs> uh, a meteor happens to hit peter's bike <laughs> okay 
surprise. Well, it's just a shame because Spider-Man 2, I considered for a long time one of like my top new superhero movies. And then to yes. kind of get it all crashed down with Spider-Man 3 was just depressing. It's a shame you didn't have a category for superhero movies that you like don't like at all because you've got favorite, underrated, overrated. But Superman, uh, Superman, Spider-Man just never connected with me. Like the the, the, the first, first one, yeah, the, well, the all of them. The, just the Spider-Man character. By the time three came along, I couldn't care less about Spider-Man. But the first movie for like the first half hour when they were doing that origin, like the first half hour of Spider-Man, like yes, this is exactly the Spider-Man movie I want. And then it just, it just lost me. I don't think it's any fault of the movie or. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not a Spider-Man guy, but the franchise and the movie uh, never really connected with me. And I recognize that Spider-Man 1 or 2 are reasonably good movies and Spider-Man 3 is not a good movie, but none of them, like, they, they just don't do it for me. And I don't know why, especially since I was so into it and excited for the first half an hour, 40 minutes of Spider-Man 1. Yeah, I'll I have to watch I, them again and see why that is. I, I, I think in a while. I think the first Spider-Man's got highs and lows, and and I I like it, but in many ways I'm giving it. I I feel like I give it a little bit of a critical pass because I like the source material so much. Yes. The second one I I actually liked a lot better. Although the reason that I I what I keep telling people about Spider-Man Two is Spider-Man Two is a movie about a guy, and it's about his problems and his life. It's not a superhero movie in many ways. It's a b- movie about a guy in his life, except it turns out the guy has um, superpowers and is kind of a superhero. Because that's how that movie is told. It's it's really weird, but I love it. I, I do think it's in my top five, at least, superhero movies. Well, that, that, that's kind of the Spider-Man thing, isn't yeah. it? And that it is more yeah. of it. You know, He's that's what Spider-Man's guy. about. It's not about supervillains and origins and stuff like that. It's more about uh, the, a boy's troubles. Right. Peter Wait. Parker's more interested, interesting than Spider-Man, whereas Batman is way more interesting than Bruce Wayne. Yeah. No one cares yeah. about Bruce Wayne. And, and neither Clark Kent or Superman are interesting. Right. Ben, what do you have for us in the uh, in the negative category? Do you have something? Well, overrated category. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, Superman 2 would be my pick. Uh, that would be the 1980 Superman uh, 2 uh, in which uh, uh, Christopher Reeve's Superman experiences his dark night – or yes, dark night of the soul. <laughs> um I, I didn't intend for that, but that that's just sort of slipped out. Um, you know, and, and I think my – and again, this is – I mean this was kind of hailed as, you know, um, you know, the first movie was like this breakthrough film and, you know, you will believe a man can fly. And I remember seeing that when I was – a kid and and coming home from the from the from the movie with my mom and seeing a guy on a hang glider that I mean just right after the film and going oh my god that's superman in the sky <laughs> and and you know and seeing superman 2 the first time you know I was I was 9 or 10 years old and and um thinking wow this is this is pretty deep problem i think maybe is that maybe it just doesn't hold up very well and and it may not hold up very well for a variety of reasons um you know, it's you know, it, it 1980 is really not the 80s yet. It's still the 70s. Um, so you still have that sort of 70s campiness. Uh, Christopher Reeve was not a great Superman, I think, in retrospect. And um, uh, although the conflict with uh, you know General Zod and and you know Terrence Stamp was great, um, all that you know the Dark Knight of the Soul stuff. Looking back at it now, if you were to watch it now, it's kind of silly. It's kind of, um, you know, this is the you know this sort of end of the seventies me decade stuff, and it and it, and it really just is it's it's a bit embarrassing in places. 
And so um, as cool as it was to see at the time, um, for me, it just um, – in retrospect, it just doesn't really hold up as well. That's a movie that got kind of um, messed up by the studio too, right? They had the, Richard Donner directed some of it and then they fired <laughs> right. him and replaced right. him with the guy who did A Hard Day's Night. It, strange. That's right. That's right. Well, I'm curious to hear what the others have to think – have to say about this because, uh, I mean – Superman 2 always sort of heresy ranks in the yeah it was sort Kill of the ranks in, the, in the top 5 of you know of these all-time great super superman or superhero films but um I don't know I I I watched it again probably a year ago and 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 that was I was kind of left with that sort of bad impression I mean I mean but it has a lot of good stuff going for it that's the thing I mean you know Gene Hackman at his you know uh, over the top finest and uh Ned Beatty's great in it, and uh, you know there's uh, there's there's a lot lot to lot to be said for it, but uh, I don't know. I think I think it suffers from the era in which it was made. The kind of mopey Superman at the Fortress of Solitude, and then the sort of mopey Clark gives up his superpowers to be with Lois, which I never really understood that, frankly. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. It was kind of like a shambling monster but it's another example of superman movie that or a superhero movie that got away from itself by adding too much stuff because think of all the things we just described that happened in this movie there's these guys from the what is it the negative zone or whatever it's called yeah phantom zone uh, mm-hmm. phantom zone there you go um and so there are the there are that thread but then there's the you know i want to be with lois should i give up my powers thread and then like and there's alex luther running around who was should be the big villain but he's the secondary villain and then he's got a sidekick guy and it's there's a lot of stuff, and like the 70s movies, it's kind of like slow-paced and spread out, and the individual scenes are, are hokey, and it's it's just kind of a big shambling mess. Um, I don't have that. I didn't know it was so highly regarded. I would not have put it very high up uh, in in my rankings of uh, of superhero movies. Maybe people just like the Phantom Zone guys. I don't know. Well, I think there's <laughs> a lot of nostalgia for it, and, and it's very quotable, you know, Neil before Zod and all that, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, people remember Terrence Stamp, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. I remember the outfits, the black jumpsuits. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> those stand out in memory more than any other scene. In the- Although, is that the movie where he gets angry and flicks a peanut at a, at a, a bottle or a window and it breaks it? Or is that hmm. three? I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember. I, I, I think don't it remember. was. He was like turning evil and drinking beer and not shaving. Oh, that must that, be yes. Four. Is that two? That's one of the the movies so bad that people haven't even seen them. Yeah, I try not to think. Erase them from our memories. Yeah, Superman four. See if we if we went to the the worst worst uh, yeah worst superhero movies flat out of all time. That Superman four, the quest for peace, quest for peace might be in the list. But we shouldn't talk about that either. No, no, no. There's no. Why beat Why beat down the already. down movies i'm mean, really what's the point the horse was is there dead. a five was there a superman five before they rebooted no no superman four yeah. was the last one and then they yeah. and then they came out with superman returns which was actually a sequel to superman 2 which was very strange and yeah and also they wanted to not we, great because we wanted to forget about richard Pryor and we yes. wanted to forget about the horrible scene of but of why does superman get younger between weapons? superman 2 and returns magic because they recast the, the, the part, the, the sun. He spent uh, some time in a red yeah. sun, right? <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think, I don't think Superman Returns was necessarily a bad movie. I just thought it was kind of mediocre. It wasn't interesting. I think yeah. that was the problem. Yeah, it was, kind it was of just dull. kind of there. I think it had some good uh, Superman action scenes. The one where he's saving the plane crashing as mm-hmm. a standalone Superman action scene. That's probably the most interested I've been in 
a Superman action scene in any of the movies just because I thought it was uh, an interesting thing for him to do. Uh, but the, the movie surrounding it was, eh. I like the idea that he has a kid. I thought that was kind of a bold choice to like totally break away from like comic book continuity and just say, uh, what if Lois had a kid? <laughs> and it Those was Superman. The same reason there's not any more Superman Returns movies. <laughs> they did all that and people were like, yeah, I don't know about that. And so wait a second, re- aren't, aren't we again. getting we're getting a reboot of the reboot, dude. Aren't, aren't That's what I'm saying. Like they, right, they yeah. thought they were going to reboot into a series of Superman movies. Instead, oh, they gotcha. rebooted once and uh now they're uh, rebooting. They, uh, they kind of didn't reboot, though. They just kind of did a soft restart from was from version Brian two. Singer but now who did these? He did. Yeah. He did Superman yeah. Returns, and yeah, now it's going to be he left the X Men and and went yeah. to do Superman because it seemed like going for the brass ring. Like finally, I get to do Superman. It's like you should have stuck with X Men. You were doing mm. much better there. I don't know. Much better is a strong word for oh, the X Men. X Men Two was pretty great. <laughs> yes. X Men Three, on the other hand, no, yeah, that had problems. Not, should not be spoken of. The second one has nuance, and again, it's more about the characters than it is about the overarching, oh god, bad things are happening, if that And better sense. than the first one, which which was, it's funny, we talked about movies where there was a first one that was good, and then they sort of screwed it up with the second one. X-Men, um, I think they kind of screwed up the first one and got it right with the second one. Well, yeah, the, the first, first one was kind of dorky, but the first one started strong. The first one was the one that starts with the, the Magneto Holocaust scene, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was that's the that's the way you open a, an X Men franchise of movies, and the rest of the movie kind of was dorky and hokey and silly formula, and they they didn't live up to that first scene. So if you could just tack that first scene onto X Men Two and tell more about Magneto's backstory there, I don't know, you can make a better movie out of it by combining parts of both of them, Frankenstein style. Nice. <laughs> See, first movies are hard to do for these superhero movies because you got to cram all the origin stuff in, and you've got to you've got to appeal to the fans, and you have to throw in all that stuff. Let me let me submit this then, and I'd like to hear what you guys say. Why do we, why does every movie every superhero movie have to start with an origin story? It kills it kills me. Apparently, they're going to retell the Spider Man origin story in the new, in the Spider Man in movie. the Andrew Garfield. Yeah, yeah. It's you what know, was he bitten why, by? I don't remember. Why must every superhero movie? I mean, you know what? It's just like TV pilots, right? Mm-hmm. The origin is not always the most interesting thing. In some ways, the origin is the least interesting thing. Why would you spend your entire first movie or half of it even telling this origin story? Instead of getting to the good stuff. I mean, if you've got a good origin, maybe it's different. But a lot of these origin stories are boring. And we've seen them before. I mean, is the Superman reboot going to give us a baby and Krypton and all of that? Because, God, I don't want to see it unless it's a five-minute montage. Well, I mean, uh, John August just actually had an had an article up on his website about this. About how, in terms of starting with origin story in regards to TV shows, where it's just... Most producers don't want to see uh, these premise pilots, these origin stories, right. because it's hard to, for the audience to connect. And yet the writer is like, but no, everybody needs to know the backstory. Because if you don't know the backstory, how are you going to know in general where we're coming from and how everything connects together? It's this, I mean, you could you could make a point for that in almost every form of literature and, and visual. Right, and- is any comic book movie viewer going into the movie of any Cold? of these major pro- <laughs> properties going, so... How does he get those spider powers? No. Well, you know, I mean, I'll I'll use Iron Man as an example of an origin story that didn't feel like an origin story to the point like I knew I knew very little about Iron Man going in other than, you know, it was a comic at one point and friends of mine liked it. And it was played very much, oh, this isn't going to be some big, terrible trauma. They just kind of went forward 
where, oh, we're being dropped down into the middle of Tony Stark's life. And then from there, we kind of split off and, oh, I guess this terrible thing happens. But if you're coming in like cold as a as a new viewer who knows nothing about Iron Man, you don't know that, oh, this is the, you know, the catalyst is right. him getting kidnapped. But nobody knows Iron Man's origin. I think that's I think that's the difference, right? Is yeah. that nobody knows about Iron Man, so you tell that story. But if it's one of these, like Spider-Man, they're going to retell an origin story that was told like less than 10 years before in a movie that everybody saw. And I don't, I don't really see the point. Now, there, there are good origin story movies. And in fact, there's one movie that I know I think is on Ben's and my list of one of our favorite superhero movies um, that is actually all origin story, but you don't know it because it's not of an existing character. And I love that movie and we'll get to it in a minute. Um, but you know, the, then there are all these other movies where it's just, let's, you know, we, we got to show everybody getting together. And it's just, I mean, John August's point, which I haven't read that article, but you know, if I was a t- producer working on a TV show, my pilot episode would not be the origin about how everybody met my pilot episode. The one that sells your show would be, this is what the show will be like every week, because that's what people want to see is it, you only meet once, but then what happens for the rest of your life? That's that's, that's the interesting the story. part. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I may be in the minority, but as I said before, I find the origin stories the most interesting part of most superhero stories. Like my ideal first superhero movie story, a movie plot is the the superhero does not appear until essentially the end of the movie. And what you get to see is someone perhaps doing the same things that the superhero would do, but not sort of becoming Batman until the end of the movie, not becoming Spider-Man until the end of the movie. Iron Man is kind of like that. And the movie that we're all going to pick is our favorite. Apparently very (laughs) much like very much like that, because I find that the most interesting part is it's the, it's the character. It's the main character's struggle to figure out, uh, you know what this what this thing is and you know what what i'm going to be or what i'm going to do with myself it's any kind of story you don't if you start the movie with batman as batman then you have to have like a second level thing so like batman knows he's batman fine now he has to face a challenge the the challenge is bruce rain is challenged and he reacts to that challenge by becoming batman um dark knight tried to do that twice like we have batman begins right and then dark knight they're like no now you're going to become the dark knight which is like level (laughs) two of batman and i love batman begins (laughs) which is an origin so so you can okay i i'll say i'll say this you can retell an origin and it can be good but what i'm saying is i don't understand why every superhero movie needs to be an origin story for the first one because some of them aren't good it's the easiest easiest to tell because if you start the movie as spider-man it's like i gotta get something for spider-man to do so i've got to put (laughs) spider-man in peril i've got to make it so you believe he's gonna die but he doesn't actually die i've got to make it look like he struggled but why should he struggle you know spider superheroes are kind of pollyanna where they're you know la-di-da i'm I'm the main character i'm a superhero nothing's gonna happen to me no no but not not told right i mean those stan lee marvel superheroes i mean their their whole story is that they're miserable i mean peter peter parker's story doesn't doesn't uh, start and end with him getting the getting the spider bite i mean he you could start him off and for all i know the origin in the in the reboot is going to be a five minute you know a watchmen style montage and that's fine because you know meeting this kid in high school who's totally messed on messed up and picked on and you think you're seeing an origin story and it turns out that he actually is a superhero but he can't let any let on and his only release is getting into that costume i mean there are lots of stories to tell about that That, guy that would be pretty cool and um Kick-Ass was sort of like that. But uh, I want to make a couple of points here. Um, I think the, the second Hulk movie, you know, that was the that was the correction to the Ang Lee. The Ed Norton. Norton. Yeah, the Ed Norton Hulk movie. That kind of did the origin thing right because they did the, the origins in, in the credits. Um, 
and and that may be the way to get at it. But I but I think with with some of these other films, these sort of you know sort of conventional origin stories, I, I would kind of liken it to some of what you have to do in in newspaper work or or journalism, which is you cannot assume that your audience is merely you know your your fans, and and that there is a lot of there's a lot of dumbing down that has to go on. I mean, you have to you have to restate things that may be obvious to you, or that may be obvious to people who are at least somewhat familiar with the subject matter. But but at the same time, you have to then think about uh, the people who may not know those things, and then you have to lay that out for them in a way that you might you may you may find frustrating as somebody who is a fan of the of the book or the or the comic book or whatnot. But um, you have to do it anyway, and I, I suspect that's a lot of it, and um, it 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 makes for some awkwardness, especially for those of us who, I mean. Iron Man is a very good example, um, as you said, um, because uh, um, I think that was done well precisely because you know Iron Man, I, who was, by the way, my favorite Marvel hero of all time, um, and I and I had prayed for years for that that movie to come out, and I was I was pretty much satisfied with the result. But Iron Man was a was a Vietnam era um, superhero, and um, and the way that they were able to change up that origin. And uh, to to make it relevant to now was really great, um, and 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 there's a lot of you know stuff in there, uh, sort of hidden stuff in there for for real fans of the of the series. You know the whole the the, um, the whole Ten Rings thing, which is a reference to Mandarin, and you know there's there's a lot of good stuff in that, that in that first movie, and it was done very very well, and so. Um, and and I and I think uh, again that the Hulk movie, the Ed, Ed Norton Hulk, Hulk movie, was done pretty well too. At least the origin aspect of it. Some of the, some of the rest of it was so so. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think you, I think these these movie makers are are kind of they have a quandary because they have to say on the one hand we need to appeal to the fans, uh, and on the other hand we need to appeal. You know, we need to get new butts in the seats. Yeah. Well, I I, and, I accessibility is a really good reason to do it i just i guess what i'm saying is if within 10 years we have two and i'm saying this is actually what they're doing with the reboot i'm not sure but if we're doing two movies where half of the t- running time is watching peter parker get bitten by a spider and him letting a burglar go past him and watching uncle ben dispense wisdom and then get shot and die and peter be upset it's like wow do you really want to re- do a remake 10 10- uh, you know, 10 years later of a movie everybody, you know, lots of people have seen. You got to tell that story in a more compressed way. The Superman reboot, that's my fear, is we're going to get the same story that they told in that Smallville TV show and that they told <laughs> in the Superman movie with Christopher Reeve. And I'm not sure that story needs to be told again. Now, they might tell it in a different way, and that's different. But And I, you're totally right that you, you can't well, assume the audience knows the story. I just, it, it, you know, I, it, it kills me. How many movies of these characters are they going to make? And if all of them are just retelling the origin, it just seems kind of crushing to me. Well, well let, me, know, let me ask you, well, let me ask you this, Jason. I mean, think about, think of it this way. What, what would you, I mean, how would you introduce some of these characters to your children? I mean, we, you and I both have young kids, right? How, I mean... It's kind of you know it's interesting to me how my my son who's now eight eight and a half you know is is being introduced to some of these characters. I mean I remember he he was actually a big fan of the of the Spider Man movies when he was like three, but um but some of these characters I mean you know it's 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 kind of interesting and wonderful to watch 
um, you know, you know, my son, uh, you know, see these these characters that I kind of grew up with through the comics and things like that. And so, I mean, I, I would, I, you know, I think about it in terms of. See now, you know, I've got a daughter who's going to be three in a, in a few months, and 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 introducing her to to some of these characters that my son would have seen, uh, you know, five or six years ago, and and and, and things like that. And so I think I think um, it's possible to to reintroduce these origins to new generations of audiences in a way that's sort of interesting. It might be familiar to us because we're old. But but to our kids, it may be something else again. But, what do you think? But about a kid, that? a kid on a, a kid um, discovering a comic uh, comic book superhero on TV or or at the spinner rack when we were kids, you don't start with the origin. You start in the middle of the action. And and my kid, I That's could true. not. My son loves Batman: The Brave and the Bold, which is a pretty good animated. It's actually, if you've ever seen it, um, it's a good show. It's it's uh it's funny. It, there's some stuff in it for the grownups to laugh at. Um, Batman has a very dry sense of humor it's actually a lot of fun you know if i asked my son how batman became batman he would have no idea if i asked him about spider-man i think i've exposed them to the whole with great power comes great responsibility thing now but originally it would have just been no spider-man he's cool he's got the red suit he swings around i I think they know the core of the character and not how they got there so i guess i would argue you don't really need it because as a as a as a kid you learn about the hero and then later you get you hear the story of how they came to be i'm not sure that is the most i mean for some heroes let's face it it probably is to john's point the most interesting thing about them and then once they've got their powers they're boring i mean superman you could argue that's true that you know they made a whole tv series about what happens before he puts on the costume because once he puts on the costume it's like death so i don't you gotta know take a, you have to take away his powers for drama as soon as he is superman right that's right. the no, only way you get true. drama out of superman as one of the younger members on this podcast it's just what i no. yeah no me me young what are, what are we talking about um I really, really hate the excuse of, oh, well, we want to introduce it to a younger generation. Let's just remake it and instead of let's instead get our kids into the older things that we got into at the first place. Like I know some people are like, oh, well, the kids are so used to modern day special effects. They're not going to want to see the original Superman or something like that. We need to reboot it every 10 years because God knows the or the Spider-Man that came out in what? 2000? 19, like the, the uh, Tobey Maguire. 2001. Yeah. No, 2002. 2002. Yes. Oh, those those effects are so outdated. That's why we're going to remake it. And we really want to, you know, skew the skew. I, I really just hate that argument in general. And, and that can be made for outside the superhero genre, too, where it's 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 a lazy man's excuse. Yeah, I hear you. Let's but, let's move hmm. on to um, to movies that we think have been uh, underrated and are especially deserving of 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 praise that w- they may not have gotten. I mean, the consensus, I think, is that The Dark Knight, which we've already taken our bats to <laughs> not a pun that I intended. Uh, we've slammed The Dark Knight and, and uh, you know, Spider-Man 2 is actually widely considered to be one of the one of the best superhero movies. Um, I'm interested in what you guys want to single out as um, uh, as movies that one should should revisit that are better than maybe uh, are widely are widely held. Ben, would you like to go first on this one? Sure. Um, I really loved Dark Man, which was I mean talking about Sam Raimi. You know, Sam Raimi. Um, you know, Dark Man came out in 1990, I think. Um, 
starred Larry Drake from L.A. Law and some no-name guy, Liam Neeson. I don't know what he went, ever went on to do, but uh, um, it was a terrific film. Um, it was uh, supposed to be The Shadow, and uh, Raimi couldn't get the rights. Um, I think it's kind of um, – I, I think it's sort of a cult favorite. Um and and probably folks here would probably respect it a lot. I but I don't think it's really well appreciated. I think it came in between, um, you know, you know there was that that's the spate of 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 you know the super Superman films in the seventies and early eighties, and then you know this this great revival of of superhero movies in the in the latter part of the nineteen nineties and and throughout the two thousands, but. It kind of came at an interesting time. Well, I guess no. I guess in the 1990s you had your well, you bat, had the bad you had the you had the, the, you had the Batman. Batman you had the tip. You know the problem with the Tim Burton Batman things is it, is it, those Tim Burton Batman movies are so overshadowed by the sequels that you I, I almost I mean with the exception of the Elfman soundtracks I've kind of put them out of my brain. Yeah, the original is um, good. It's a good. I mean, it's not great. Yeah, it but is. It's good. It is. I mean, and and. But you know, whatever happened to Michael Keaton too? By the way, no, I know he's <laughs> he's still around. But um, no, I, I dark. I think Darkman came in that in that period. You know, it, it, that was probably overshadowed by by the Batman, the Burton Batman films as well. And and uh, but it was it was it's really good. And um, you know, it it has that great. Larry Drake villain. I mean, you know, I think I think he was probably one of the better known people in that movie, um, and uh, you know had this this great story with you know this this uh, do good scientist whose whose face is burned off, and I mean it's, it's got this darkness to it, and but it's you know it's got this great heroism to it. It's got this this great humor to it. Uh, as, well, that's as, the, that's the reason I believe that Sam Raimi got the job to direct Spider Man was that he had not only had this great cult following, but he he had a superhero movie and it was good. It was really good. It was yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah I, I you know I I, I um. I, I, I've seen that probably. Well, I, I saw it when it came out in the theater, and then I, I watched it again a couple of years ago. And uh, I think I think I ran across the end of it on uh, on cable, uh, maybe within the past few months. And uh, you know, the end there where where Bruce Campbell makes his his cameo appearance uh, as he's wont to do in any of these Raimi movies. But uh, um, yeah, Dark Man is um, is a is a great little superhero film. Um, that, uh, you know, it's got all these people who went on to do great things in it, you know, and, uh, you know, Francis McDormand's the love interest, uh, you know, that was, that was, uh, some years before Fargo and when no one knew who, who she was and, uh, no, it's, it's, it's really, really good. And that's kind of one of those things that, uh, I'm, I'm sort of, maybe when my son is a little older, I'm looking forward to showing to him because i i think that's one of those one of those really well-rounded um superhero movies that doesn't involve superpowers but it's got great action and and great drama and 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 you know brilliant writing and you know memorable lines like you know bring me the asian's fingers you know things like that <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you are it's a just, sucker just, for those lines aren't you i know i know yeah get the bone saw bring me the asian fingers ren um do you have a a, a movie that deserves a little uh, a little extra love well, I would say The Rocketeer, except I feel like that's not underrated 
in the geek following to which I am talking to. Uh, I would say it's publicly like on the whole of underrated. Well, I mean, you could you could do that. I know that if Dan Morin were here, he would say The Rocketeer because he loves that movie. And, oh, I, and- I, I love The Rocketeer dearly. But I but I feel like it would be I don't know. Every everybody likes the Rocketeer, yes, on the podcast. I feel I, I like I want to talk. I guess more. You can you can skip ahead. Yeah. We we've mentioned oh. the Rocketeer. The Rocketeer has been covered. <laughs> if you've got something else you'd like to, well, it's instead. like I I love the Rocketeer, and the Rocketeer is probably one of my favorite superhero films. But in terms of like underrated and kind of guilt, I more guilty pleasure is I have a very special place in my heart for Mystery Men. Of all, which is this? Not, it was a movie that came out in 1999, which was basically about a bunch of misanthropic uh, superheroes and did terribly at the box. Ben movies. Stiller, right? Yeah, Ben St- Ben Stiller. But the really, I mean, on on like sort of an outside glance, it's like you look at the trailer and you're like, okay, this is going to be ridiculous and kind of stupid. But it, I mean, and, and it has its ridiculous moments. But there's something to be said about the group of the outcasts who band together and try and try and take care of evil and getting rid of the popular su- like the popular superheroes versus the unpopular superheroes and accidentally killing the popular superhero and William H Macy as a superhero which is just hilarious um who else is in it there's um Janine Garofalo uh, as a superhero Eddie Izzard is in it as one of the villains I think something like that um but it's just it's one of those it's one of those films that when I'm Kind of like when I'm sick or when I'm down, it's such it's so f- like so much fun to watch. It's very ridiculous. All right, mystery man, John. What about you? What uh, what's underappreciated? Do you think this will be quick because uh, we've already pretty much discussed it? But I think Batman Begins is underrated mostly because the Dark Knight just squashes it in the minds of the public. But if you go back and watch Batman Begins, it's like a breath of fresh air. Like maybe the highs aren't as high as they are in Dark Knight, but the overall average of the movie is much higher. It's just clean tidy takes itself seriously does everything you know either competently or well and and it really holds together Rewatching it recently i was reminded of how much more i like this like i i'd have almost forgotten it existed because you know dark knight is as you know come and taken over the consciousness but uh that one i think deserves more credit than dark knight and is consequently underrated by most people at this point i'm with you there i actually think that that might be christopher nolan's best movie um, because I also thought Inception was kind of shaky, but that's another podcast. Anyway, what about Memento? I did like Memento. Well, Memento was up there, and I liked the um, oh, what's the magician movie that he did? Is it the, uh, the, the Prestige? The Prestige. Or, or the Prestige. I love the Prestige. Yeah. That might be my favorite, but Great it's up film. there. Yeah. So, but I, I I agree with you. I I bought Batman Begins uh, when it came out on DVD because I was like, that is a great you know, and I don't buy a lot of DVDs, but that one was a definite purchase because I um, uh, yeah, big big fan of that one they did a great Mostly job. origin story mm-hmm. too yeah, yeah. it is but it, it is a good, good origin, origin story. story it was a good origin story because it made the material new again i think what? batman right. begins was probably my favorite uh new superhero movie until iron man came out right does everybody here love iron man because that's another one that i, I, I love iron I man dis- yeah i don't dislike love it to death. I, love I thought the, i thought the movie was fun but it it it's not even close to Batman Begins in my mind. Like it's I don't a, have anything bad to no, say about Iron Man. It's in Man. my top five, along with Batman Begins. I think it's Robert Downey Jr. Honestly, that yeah, does it for me. He yeah. charms his way through that movie, and, and I think it, that's one of the best things about that movie. Maybe I'm just not into Iron Man, kind of the same way I'm not into Spider Man. It's a good movie. It doesn't have anything wrong with it. It just 
it, it didn't wow me as much as Batman Begins. Other than J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson, it may Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man may be the best bit of superhero movie casting ever. I mean, yeah, it's, that was good casting. It's perfect. I don't know much about Iron Man, but you, I mean, he he just is Iron Man from billionaire you know, he's Tony, Tony, he's Tony Stark. Tony yeah. Stark, is Ab- the yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I uh, on Twitter, I, I was talking about my favorite superhero movies, and and I couldn't decide the number three slot whether it would be Batman Begins or Iron Man because I like them both. And yes, I admit one of the reasons I like Iron Man, and I push Iron Man, is because it was released at the beginning of the summer that The Dark Knight came out, and everybody said, "Oh, Dark Knight's great, it's best picture, and all this stuff." And I said, "Wow, you know, I it wasn't even the best superhero movie of the year <laughs> because I, I had a much, I came out of Iron Man feeling." so great it was such a ride and you know what when i watch it back it's still a good it's still a really good movie so it makes you smile yeah you know? it's fun let me tell you something about iron man my my son and this was one of my great accomplishments as a parent my son loved iron man the iron man movie so much he actually likes the iron man video game which is terrible which is awful <laughs> now that is an endorsement it's the, <laughs> that's the power of intellectual property um I'm going to say for my um, for my uh, underappreciated, and I actually looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes, and it got a 75% of the tomato meter reading. But um, I feel like maybe it doesn't have a lot of credibility as a superhero movie because people view it as a kind of a cheesy kids movie. But um, Megamind, love the Megamind, and I think that anybody Megamind is great who loves superheroes should see Megamind because it is. It is a really good movie, and my kids liked it. Yeah, but I loved it, and and yes, it owes a lot of debts to a lot of different movies, including what, including the Watchmen comic book, not the movie, including the Incredibles. But um, Megamind, I think, uh, for for jaded uh, geeky people who are like, I'm not going to watch that. That's a kids movie. Watch Megamind. I, be, I Megamind beseech you. was Megamind was really good, and, and of of the non Pixar movies that came out in 2010, um, I actually I liked Megamind better than. Um, Despicable, Despicable me. me. No, I liked Megamind a lot. My son liked Megamind, um, I think, quite a bit more than uh, that one with Carell, whatever it's called. Um, Despicable yeah, no, me, Ben. Dis- Despicable you. Um, <laughs> yes. No, it, it was no, but Megamind was really cool, and and yeah, and 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 it's um, it owes a lot. But see, the, the reason why that worked, I think, is because the references weren't so obvious. Right. The problem with a lot of these these animated movies that that I mean they rely too much on um, obvious pop culture references that will be dated yes, in the, a year or the two. The Shrek mm-hmm. problem. Mm. Yeah, Shrek and and uh, the worst movie of all time in this in this vein was Planet Fifty One, but um, but but Mega Mind was was really good. Um, was really pretty sound. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I love I that. that I think that'll hold up pretty well, and I I, I hope it. I hope it does well. Like one, one of the best, uh, if not the best, Will Ferrell performance, by the way. So, you know. Hello. Yeah, that's he mispronounces everything. He refers to the city of of, of Metro City as Metrocity. <laughs> rhymes with atrocity throughout. It's beautiful. It's a, it's actually a wacky performance, but it's he's got the big he's got the big head like the leader from the Incredible Hulk, and he's the villain, but he's sort of the hero and he's the protagonist, and it's good. So now um, with our remaining time, I wanna I wanna flip it over to the lighter side. I want some unabashed praise of a movie that you love. That's a superhero movie that you would hold up and say that's the way to do it. That's the stuff. And uh, for this, we'll start with Ren. You have okay. a you have put something up on the pedestal. 
This is where I put Rocketeer up on the pedestal. Oh, because look at that. <laughs> Rocket, Rocketeer, Rocketeer and Incredibles are my two my two kind of top Go with all-time super tier. I oh, yeah. I suspect the other one's going to get mentioned. Really, Jason? You yes, think so? It's possible. <laughs> well, they're only they're, – I've got two, and I think both of them might be mentioned before I, they get to me. But that's okay. So Rocketeer, professional okay. love for, for the Rocketeer. You know Jennifer Connelly's in the Rocketeer. I know Jennifer Connelly's in the Rocketeer. Mm-hmm. All kind of wonderful people in the Rocketeer. Alan Arkin's in the Rocketeer. Timothy Dalton as well. Timothy There's, Dalton is great in Tim- The Rocketeer. Timothy Dalton is fantastic. I mean, I love okay, I'm I have a big place in my heart for uh sort of I think it's the Indiana Jones complex where I just like movies that are set in the nineteen thirties and the nineteen forties. There's something fantastic about it. And the the Nazis and I mean you really can't go wrong when you have Nazis as, as the lurking force in a film and people flying to the point where uh, I grew up in Pasadena and the Rose Parade went right by my house when I was a kid and I think I came back from college a couple of years back and George Lucas was hosting the uh, the Rose Parade that year he was the Grand Marshal and they had you know the Star Wars the Star Wars floats and most of it was prequel themed, which was unfortunate. But the highlight of that Rose Parade for me was not like the excess of Star Wars, but it was the moment where a man from Ohio came out of a float strapped to what looked like the rocket from the Rocketeer and flew around the parade route. And it was the coolest thing because I was... You know, it's like, oh, my favorite movie, and it's in real life, and was super exciting. But um, the the film itself, I I unabashedly love. It's there are corny parts and there are cheesy parts, but it's wonderful. I love the score. I I it, I just feel like I battle over it because it's it's yeah, it's a comfort movie at its very heart, <laughs> and it takes place in L.A. So, <laughs> all right, The Rocketeer. John, what about you for for uh, uh, some happy thoughts? So I'm going to take the one that I think is on your list as well. I could take both of yours, but I'll just take one. Thank you. Uh, Let Ben take the other one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This could also go under underrated because I think it is underrated. I think uh, it is. But it's also my favorite superhero movie, probably because it has most of the trappings of uh no it doesn't have most of the trappings of a superhero movie cliches but it yes. has all of the cliches there all the cliches are there just not the trappings of them so it's kind of stealth um and it's uh m night Shyamalan's unbreakable which yes. is my favorite superhero mm. movie and my favorite m night Shyamalan movie yes and it is, outstanding it, it mm-hmm. is yes. in there and you just like it, you're like wait a second is this every single cliche from a superhero movie is there but they do not have the window dressing of you don't thing, know so it just you don't know you're watching a superhero movie until right, right. But, very mm-hmm. late where you realize, oh, I see. <laughs> right. And, and it does it does all the exact same things of a superhero movie origin story. But in a superhero, I, I don't know what the trappings are. Like, obviously, the trappings are a title that gives you the name of a superhero. The trappings are uh, that there's, you know, there's theme music for the superpower that you're familiar with the superhero ahead of time. You know, th- this... This is not a, a Marvel or DC comic hero. This is nobody. This is this is a, in the same way in a real life superhero situation. There's I can't no, believe you just uh, said a, that. For, there's no foreknowledge <laughs> of who the superhero is, what their name is going to be, and what their powers are going to be from anybody right. from the from the audience, from the person involved in the story at all. So we we're talking about you know why do they have to redo the origin stories? Everyone knows who Spider Man is. That's that's part of the problem. Like the title of the movie is Spider Man. Everyone knows it's got to be some man who's right. like a spider, and we've probably heard of Spider Man. We've heard of Superman, right? 
this no, movie is called Un- Unbreakable. Unbreakable the title is a fake out. Nothing. It's a fake yeah. out because everybody saw The Sixth Sense, and so they're thinking it's going to be a, a thriller mm-hmm. or it's going to be a supernatural kind of story. And and, and, and it, for a guy whose whole career has been derailed, I mean, eventually by himself, but also by the reputation of his first movie, the Unbreakable yeah. is great. I think in part because it does play against his reputation in a way that means, and this may be why it isn't as loved as it should be. You know, people are expecting it to be one thing and it's, and it's another, but I love that it's, it's, that's the fake out of it. He, he kind of walked backwards into success here because all of his movies are, are, are shot the same pace, the same, like he's got that, that's that M night style. He has is perfect for a movie like the sixth sense. And it's totally not, what you expect for a superhero movie. Yes. Now, since every single one of his movies are like this, it just so happens that doing a superhero movie like this is is great because you're like, what's going on here? Is this is this some serious, you know, I don't quite, it, it gets you into it in the same way, you know, like for example, that same pacing does in The Village and in The Village you're just like, oh, well, screw you, M. Night, you know. <laughs> but, and it just ends up being silly or stupid or whatever, but this just draws you in and draws you in and the payoff is there and you're like, this was the greatest superhero movie ever. You know, it's, <laughs> It's and I didn't even up. know what I was watching until late in the game. Right, and then you look mm-hmm. back and you're like, they did all those exact no. same things. And the mo- as a result, that that moment, you know, wh- where he's whatever he is, what like a green poncho man or whatever yeah, yeah. is basically <laughs> what know, he is the yeah. the man with he's the not poncho, Mister Unbreakable. Which is no, <laughs> no, and he goes into the house and he's very reluctant to do it, and he discovers that he's got these abilities, and he goes into the house, and there's the, been the you know there've been there are people being held captive, and there are people who are dead, and he he almost dies, and he gets saved by the people he saved. And that it's just so unbelievably powerful. I actually think powerful in a way that no other scene in any other superhero movie is. And it's got to be because of the grounding you get before you get to that point. That was the movie that established, I mean, that really, really established the kind of realism that I think a lot of audiences have come to expect from superhero movies now because it, it really showed you know the, the the humanity and vulnerability of the hero and and so you see that in in a lot of you know in tv shows like heroes and things like that i mean i, I think that movie that movie was so good for for that reason it shows you like what it what it would be like uh, spider-man tries to do this to some degree what what would it be like if you were a regular person one day and then you found you had these amazing powers the next day what what effect would that have on you? And, and in Spider-Man, it's like, well, this is a big responsibility. I'm just a teenager and I want to be a teenager. But, you know, the, but you're still kind of like, oh, I'm Spider-Man. This is like, no, seriously, what if you're just some schlub off the street with a marriage that has problems and a kid and just a job? And, and you know, this starts to become apparent in your life. What what would that be like? What How would it manifest itself? What would it do to you? Would you want to be a hero? Would you be interested in this at all? You know, that that level of realism because again it's it's paced like an m night Shyamalan movie you're not sure where they're going is like it's a, especially in the beginning you're like so this is a movie about a guy who's crazy and thinks he has superpowers or is it just about his mental breakdown or is he going to like accidentally get killed by his his kid in the kitchen you know with the whole scene with the gun and everything you're not sure you know if you don't go in which i didn't i went in knowing nothing about this movie you don't go in with superman superheroes anywhere in your mind those early scenes are just you know riveting and confusing and you don't quite understand where the movie's going and then only in retrospect can you go back like he's a superhero he has a weakness this is his origin story he has an arch enemy you know and and, and the pieces come together yeah the uh in fact the train wreck at the beginning which is stunning i i, I it never shows the wreck and yet it is just this amazing 
shocking thing. And in hindsight, you look at that and you say, well, that is sort of his equivalent of the, you know, with great power comes great responsibility kind of moment where he's the only survivor of the train wreck and he steps out of the wreckage or he's brought out of the wreckage. Um, but at the time, I mean, you how would you ever think that that's the context of it? And his son is also like the great power, great responsibility thing. His son thrusts yes. upon him the idea of the child saying, well, but don't, if you can do these things, dad, you have a responsibility to, you know, like, because that's just what kids want as yeah. a hero to save them. And the father, you know, an adult doesn't think that, but a kid immediately says, no, you have to be a superhero. You have to do this. The kid, you know, puts more weight on the, the barbell and says, you know, let's see what you can do. You have to do this. Right. All right, Ben, it's your turn. I'm I'm stealing your other favorite go ahead movie of all time, <laughs> The Incredibles. Yes. I mean, I mean, I'm surprised That's we great. didn't all you know three, two, one in unison say The Incredibles. Um, I mean, this is a movie that uh, I mean is really the sort of quintessential superhero movie because it is unburdened by any uh, other you know property. Uh, here you have it. Uh, the, the you know Pixar was able to establish this this grand universe. Uh, this origin, but at the same time, we we can recognize these people. Right. Never, never um, any origin story about how they get their powers. By the way, they just no, no, no origin, no origin story. But in fact, it did the Watchmen better than the Watchmen. <laughs> yes, um, I mean, it, you know, we have these people who were were super powerful and who were uh, forced out by the government because of. Right, right. I mean, you know, in the Watchmen, it was different. But I mean, this is basically the Watchmen as it should have been done. But, the, you know, the great thing, I mean, the Incredibles was, you know, this 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 great superhero tale about excellence. Yes. And yet and duty. Excellence and duty is really what it comes down to, because these are people who are you know, gods among mortals who have an obligation to serve their fellow man. I mean, which is what every superhero story is sort of about, but it is done in such a way um, and it is done so well and it is done precisely because it is, it is sort of new and they were able to create this universe um, drawing on influences from all the comics and, and cartoons and other films that we've seen, but is done in such a such a way that uh, is is unlike anything we've ever seen. And I know, Jason, you've actually said in the past that, I mean, in that particular year, I think that was not not only your favorite animated film, it was also your favorite film yeah. that particular year. And mm-hmm. I think it's the best Pixar movie, and that's saying something mm-hmm. for, for me. It absolutely I- is. One aspect of The Incredibles that is interesting for a superhero movie, but is one of my favorite things about the movie is that it has a very healthy dose of James Bond thrown in. James Bond's not a superhero, Mm -hmm. but they throw that in there and it just works so well. It's like the special spice that, you know, the secret spice in the recipe that just pulls it all together for me because that's the flavor of like the middle of that movie in terms of the the setting and action scenes and, and it helps with the you know, volcano mm-hmm. on the tropical Michael, and, right, right. and, and the and, Michael Giacchino score oh, which is where he's channeling John Michael Barry. Giacchino's score is right from John Barry yeah that like that that's my favorite scene in in the whole movie when he's coming in on that big manta ray thing and it ducks under the water it's a whole oh. big you know montage like thing of him getting the secret message going to the secret island uh you know he ends up on the balcony with this tropical paradise with a drink in his hand and then they cut to the wife vacuuming and getting the stuff's getting right. stuck <laughs> in the vacuum that little sequence is one of the one of the best put together parts of this movie even though it has very little to do with superheroes and so much more to do with james bond i feel like it adds immensely to the movie it gives it, it gives it another flavor instead of just the superhero stuff 
Well, again, it's the difference between excellence and mediocrity or just living living kind of the normal life versus living the extraordinary life, whether it's James Bond or superhero. Well, the supervillain in this movie, his ultimate plan is to give everybody superpowers. Everybody's special. No one will be. Yeah, that's right. And, and I mean, yes, it's not the most subtle message of a movie. And yet I do I do like it that, that the, the message in the movie, and I think it's rare to get this message, which is, you know, people who have exceptional talents should be um, should not be ashamed of them and should make use of them. And that seems so basic. And yet, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that, you know, oftentimes in our culture, uh, we we have a tendency to go the other way. So I love that that's the, the whole point, not just with Syndrome wanting to give himself powers and give everybody else powers, but also of, of Dash, um, who has been told not to use his, his abilities at all and is told to, you know, don't even go out for the track team. And, uh, you know, and then you throw in duty, as Ben said. And that comes back to he feels a duty to help the people he works for in the insurance company. Um, he feel you know he, there's the, the the husband's duty to the wife and to support the family, which leads him into this adventure um, somewhat misguidedly. But it also you know has this effect where she believes that um, that he's cheating on her, and so there's this whole marriage dynamic and about what the what the marital relationship is there and what his duty is to his wife. Just so much stuff in here on top of the fantastic look, the fantastic soundtrack. You know, it's just I was watching this um, this weekend with my kids and and it's actually what prompted this podcast. And um, I, I am blown away by that movie. Every time I watch it, I think, well, you know, I've seen this a million times and I always get something else out of it. The midlife crisis angle in the middle part oh, yeah. there as well, mm. because that that's a whole other I mean, you could do a whole movie based around you can imagine, for example, DreamWorks doing an entire movie based around. Uh, superhero superhero midlife crisis. crisis. That's, just a, that's just a tiny part of this movie, but it fits in so perfectly because you know it's it's barely an allegory at that point because men have midlife crisis. They think, "Why? Well, well, I was in high school. I was a Superman, and look at me now. I'm just I'm fat and I'm a schlub, and I don't get to use my superpowers. And I've got a wife, and I'm tied down." And my wife pointed out something that made me laugh. Um, that he. He starts out um, and he does his first adventure in his old suit and, and he's really fat. And then he, he gets the new suit. Um, but between then, between those two scenes, he starts working out and he drops weight and he looks a lot better because um, he's working out at the rail yard, picking up train cars and stuff like that. And when he goes to Edna to get his suit, she looks at him and says, God, you've gotten fat. And I love that because no, no. He's better now. He looks better than he did a couple of months ago, and she still thinks he's completely lost it. I love just yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, Brad Bird, who's made some incredible movies, because, no pun intended again, uh, um, including The Iron Giant and Ratatouille. Um, and every time I hear a new Pixar sequel announced, I am sad again that it's not an incredible sequel. Although I guess Brad Bird will make that movie when he's good and ready. You don't want that rushed. I don't know. I, I It's just a perfect combination of things. I have very little to say bad about it. It's interesting that it's kind of lifted from the Fantastic Four, except the Human Torch is replaced by the Flash, I guess. But, you know, I, I like having that superhero family. Um, it just mixes up all these great elements, and it doesn't feel like a mishmash. It feels like it, it, it's sort of perfectly balanced. And I think that goes to the story system that they have at Pixar, where they really um, they really work on the story and put... and and to the point where they don't make bad movies and the screenplays that they have are all um, locked down pretty solid. Well, it's just a wonderfully complex movie. There's just layers upon layers of different things. It's one of, as as you'd say in, in Hollywood speak, it's a four-quadrant movie where somebody from every, you know, 
the teenage boys like it, the teenage girls like it, the young kids like it, the parents like it, you know, the older the older generation likes it. There is something quite literally for everyone to and, enjoy. And think of how they put all of those aspects and all those stories into one movie that's not too long, that's there's no fat, there's no wasted scenes. It's a, it's an amazing achievement of connecting a bunch of jigsaw pieces. But again, two or three of those pieces can make an entire bad DreamWorks movie out of like they say that's our plot. The midlife There are no superfluous this, villains. This is our plot. The, the shy girl who comes into her own when she gets her power. It's like Every single one of those things, there's so many characters and so much movie in here. It's amazing they get it all in under, you know, whatever it is, uh, less than two hours, I think. Yeah. Well, um, any movies that we missed? I, I can't I can't bring my movies to the table because I was when I was forming my uh, all-time top five uh, high-fidelity style superhero movie list, it was uh, The Incredibles, Unbreakable, Iron Man, um, Spider-Man 3, and I'm not sure what I had at... Spider-Man at, 3? At, or sorry, Spider-Man Two. Oh God, no! <laughs> and I'm not quite sure what I had at number five, but um, maybe nothing. Maybe that's open. Maybe not the Watchmen. Not the Watchmen. No. Well, on that note, I'm going to uh, I'm going to close the doors of the halls of justice, the Hall of Justice, something like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna say goodbye, um, and I'm sure we will pick up this topic again later. There is so much to it, but until that time, I would like to thank my guests, John Syracusa. Thank you very much for being here again. You're very welcome, Jason. Ben Boychuk, thanks for uh, thanks for being on the podcast again. It's it's good. We'll have to have you back soon. Thank you very much. And Serenity Caldwell, thank you again for dropping in and sharing with us your love of the Rocketeer. Well, thank you, Jason. And until next time, thanks to everybody out there for listening to The Incomparable. I'm Jason Snell. We'll see you next time. <laughs>